But we're going to come to a time in our service now, we'll look at a passage from God's Word, talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, whatever with you, if you want to turn to our passage today, Genesis 43 now. I know we've said it already, but I just want to express my own thanks uh, to the people coming out each week to do the setup of these tents and everything. It makes such a huge difference to us being able to meet out here and do this. So thank you to all of you who've done that. So continuing on in this story of Joseph now, Genesis 43, we'll start at verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judas said to him, Are you serious? No. He said, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? We told him the answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and all our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you, and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. So, miraculously, Jacob decides, okay, he's going to let the boy go now. He's going to return, and he kind of pulls a little bit from his uh, old playbook with Esau and sends a nice gift ahead of him uh, to uh, this man who's going to buy them grain. He sends double the portion of money. It says, take the money that they gave you, plus take double for what they're gonna, you're going to buy. And he says, may God, verse 14, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother, Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men into Joseph's house, and the men were afraid. Because they were brought to Joseph's house, they said to one another, It's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. Isn't that interesting how when you got a guilty conscience, even kindness feels like a threat? But their plan is to go in, they talk to the steward of the house, they tell him the whole story. Listen, when we got home, we just found the money in our sacks, we weren't stealing, we didn't do anything wrong. Verse 23, the steward replies, peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. So they can see things turning and, and moving in a favorable direction. So they're brought into the house. They are cleaned up. They're got ready. Their animals are all fed. Then verse 26. Now when Joseph came home, they brought into the house with him to present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare. He said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, 
Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, Serve the foods. In the verse 34 we read, And they drank and were merry with him. That's God's words. Pray for us once more, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, would you now illumine the preaching of your word? Open our eyes to understand what it is you want us to see. Show us what you want us to learn, and then give us an openness and a willingness to follow and be obedient to what you show us. Tell us that you never send out your word, and it returns void to you. It does accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Have you ever been in a place before where you believed, at this point in your life, you had reached what you believed was the end of a long, difficult journey, and you were at the finish line? You, you had crossed the finish line, you turned in the last assignment, you, you finished out the work with the therapist, whatever it is, only to discover uh, there's actually more, there's something you missed. There's more to do. Actually, sorry about that. Um, and, and suddenly now, the finish line, which you thought you had crossed, is no longer here. It's, it's over there now. Have you ever been in that place like that before? Maybe uh, for you, it is discovering that extra basket of laundry, which you have missed. Or a stack of reports that you were supposed to file, and all of a sudden you're like, what? Okay, now i got to do that too. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's uh, being in a church service with a sermon that you were sure was coming to an end, but then just continued to go on and on and on. I know that's never happened here, but again, it hasn't. Now, no, there doesn't necessarily have to be any kind of catalyst at all that, that brings this kind of uh, realization to you. Apparently, uh, survivors of, of trauma, for example, this realization can come long after the therapy has concluded. They felt like they put whatever situation they were working through long in the past when suddenly uh, painful memories, uh, uh, horrific dreams begin to come to mind again, suddenly reminding them, okay, maybe actually the work here isn't done. There's more work to accomplish here, which apparently is actually a sign of help shows that your brain is actually now at a place where it can work through those things, which it couldn't before. But regardless of, of whether or not that realization comes to you from an obvious reason or just seemingly out of nowhere, the point, the issue for us is how do we respond to it? How do we respond to that revelation when it comes? Will, will you see that revelation as a nuisance, as something to be avoided and ignored, or will you see it as a gift? particularly in some of those areas of like unresolved trauma you still need to work through. Well, you see that as a gift revealing that even deeper healing, even deeper freedom is still available to you. And I say all that by way of introduction because as we continue in this summer teaching series, Meant for Good, what Dave touched on last week, we see once again in the life of Joseph this week, that that unresolved trauma, not yet fully processed Grief is absolutely being revealed in Joseph's life. And 
the catalyst for that revelation is very much his brother's visits as they show up unexpectedly in front of him. But what I want us to spend some time looking at this morning is that in responding to that revelation that Joseph has as a gift, pressing into it as an opportunity from God for even greater healing, even greater freedom, not only does Joseph experience greater freedom himself, Joseph's healing actually begins to have a compound effect on the rest of his family as well. And I want to look at that because I believe if we will open up our hearts and lives and press into the same revelations in our own lives, not only will we see greater healing and freedom for ourselves, but we may also begin to see that same kind of compound effect for those around us as well. And in order to get us there, I want to just look at our passage in two ways this morning. I want to look at rightly responding to revelation, and then the compound effects of a right response. Okay, how do we rightly respond when that revelation comes, and what are some of the compound effects or benefits that can come when we respond rightly? So uh, if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to this passage? Follow along with me as we continue to grow in our understanding and appreciation for the work of God in our lives, which we continue to see from Joseph's life. It's always meant for good. So let's look first of all at rightly responding to revelation. Rightly responding to revelation. So if you remember, Joseph is on this 13 year long journey from the pit that his brothers first threw him in to now this palace that Pharaoh has placed him in, second in command over all the land of Egypt. And after storing up more grain than could even be measured anymore through the seven years of plenty that he had interpreted from Pharaoh's dream, Joseph is now put in charge of selling the grain to everyone who comes buying food because now the seven years of famine have begun. And as we saw last week in chapter 42, after over 20 years of being apart and really with zero warning, all of a sudden the first knocking of the door of Revelation comes to Joseph as the next group comes in to buy grain and lo and behold it's his brothers down from Canaan seeking to buy grain for themselves. Now, as we saw, Joseph's brothers, they don't recognize him, right? He's dressed totally differently. The context is totally unexpected. They would, they would never think to see Joseph here, and so they don't recognize him. But we know that his brother's visit is absolutely revealing that God has more work that he wants to do in Joseph, that his work, even though he now wears the coat of a prince, is still not yet complete because not only does he keep his identity hidden from his brothers. Remember when he overhears them recounting the, the situation that they would put him through and then recounting it with sadness and regret. All of a sudden he has to turn away from them to compose himself. He starts to get the huge frog in the throat. He turns away. He's got to just like, excuse me for a second. He comes back. So, so clearly there's, there's more going on there. Now briefly, because I want to get to our passage today. What, what was going on there? Why? What's going on? Well, Joseph had spent the last 20 years learning how to get over all that, how to move on from the trauma that his brothers had inflicted on him, right? He'd cried countless tears. He'd, he'd worked through all the pain and disappointment of dashed hopes, uh, like, where's my dad? Why hasn't he come looking for me? All these things. And probably participated in countless little scenarios and daydreams in his mind when he imagined what he would say and do to his brothers if he ever saw them again. That was all so long ago. That was 20 years ago. It's really 
It's really water under the bridge now. And, and God's been faithful to rescue Joseph, right? He, he has carried him through everything. Betrayal, uh, slavery, false accusations, prison, all this stuff. And now God has exalted Joseph. At the proper time, he's, he's restored Joseph so much so. Remember, he names his first son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's house. You see it? Like, like he's done. Like, that part of the race is over. He's moved on. He's conquered in the face, face of impossible odds. And now he's free. He's free from all that baggage that he used to carry around. And yet, look at this. In a moment, in a single glimpse of his brothers, all this stuff that he worked so hard to forget, God began to reveal that the good work that he was doing in Joseph was not yet complete. And that his plan to heal Joseph from the trauma that he had endured would not be by forgetting his father's house, but by restoring it to him. So, yeah, at that first revelation, yeah, Joseph is he's merciful, right? He doesn't have his brothers just killed on the spot. He doesn't, uh, you know, hoard all the toys to himself and just send them away empty-handed, go starve to death. He, he's merciful to them. But I'm not sure if he's yet really pressing into or opening himself up to this revelation yet. And the reason I say that is because he, he sends them away with food. He even sends them away with their money. But he also sends them away with an impossible request. If you want to prove that you're not spies, and you ever want to buy another single kernel of grain from me again, bring your youngest brother with you next time you come. That's all. A request he knows is impossible for them to fulfill. Unless, by some miracle, his brothers have changed it all. Unless, somehow, they're no longer the same kind of self-focused, horrible people that did the unthinkable to him. And so as, as Joseph watches his brother's caravan trail off into the distance, I honestly don't think he ever believes he's going to see them again. It's kind of like, okay, so that's done. And, and, and maybe good riddance, right? Like, maybe Joseph, as he sees that, is just thinking to himself, like, wow, yeah, that was hard. I just lost it there for a second. But you know what? Check. I've clearly passed the test. You know, that's the whole, like, seeing the X at the party test. And it's like, I, I did okay. And so... I can now just move on with my life the way that um, I, I, I've started my new life, free from all that. That's now in the past. Good. And yet when we come to our passage today in chapter 43, look at Joseph's response to seeing his brothers again. Now in verse 29. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber and wept there. So now, see, Joseph can't just turn away for a minute and compose himself, right? He's got to, like, run to another part of the house, an ugly cry, before he can put himself together and come back now, stand straight-faced before his brothers once again. And the question I want to ask you is, like, why? What's different about this revelation now? What's, why is this second revelation any different? Well, on the surface, maybe you'd say, well, he's seeing his, his full brother, Benjamin. Uh, and that's just really uh, overwhelming and, and, and moving, emotional to him. And, and I think that's right. I, I think so, too. I think that's, that's one of the reasons. And yet, I wonder, 
if what's not really wrecking Joseph's heart in this moment is seeing the change that's now taking place in all of his brothers. Now that the unless of his otherwise impossible request, they actually did it. They did bring the brother back. And I think it's wrecking him because seeing that change is unearthing and revealing the affection that he still has for his family. No matter how deeply buried he shoved it down underground, it's still there. And no, Joseph doesn't yet reveal himself. He's not running out into their arms to have a baby, just hug it out with them. But here's what I know. It's a lot easier to bury and move on from things when they stay buried. And although it's not everything, look at the end of verse 34 again. Rather than just release Simeon and send them out on their way with food again, now he allows himself to enjoy a family dinner with his brothers. Not everything, but it's another step towards healed relationship. And as we think about how to rightly respond to this kind of revelation, whatever that might look like in our own lives today, I think there's something here for all of us. Whether uh, you have experienced hurt, relational brokenness and trauma yourself, or you're somebody that's caused it. I think there's something here for everybody. Because if the Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart, and what's revealed to you, it's that there's an area of your life that although you thought you were done with, you thought you were fully formed, you checked the box and you could move on from, that God clearly has more work He wants to do in. Well, what we learn from the life of Joseph is that you have two options in that moment. You can ignore that knocking. You can just kind of try to maintain your steady course that you were headed on. Or you can pay attention to that knocking and press into the continued work the Spirit may be wanting to do in that area that he's revealing. Now please hear me, this is, this is not at all me uh, telling you to rekindle toxic relationships. It's not me telling you to allow people who have abused you back into your life to continue to abuse you. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, as, as someone once said so well, a call to unity with abusive people is only an invitation to more abuse. I think that's right. No, there, there should be evidence of a real change, accountability for what's happened in the past before you should ever consider re-entering any kind of reconciliation with that person. But think about it. Maybe the reason that God is revealing what He's revealing in situations like that is not because He wants to restore the re that relationship at all. But maybe what He wants to do is actually just bring about greater freedom and healing from the sense of shame and responsibility you carry. Maybe, maybe freedom from the unforgiveness you continue to hold in your heart and you continue to carry around with you. He wants to give you freedom from that. Maybe that's the only reason He's revealing it. But if that resonates with you, if any of that is hitting you where you are at this morning, I believe rightly responding to revelation like this is to press into those places that God reveals to you. Pay attention to them no matter how scary or even how unimportant they may seem. Maybe you're like, why, why, why are you showing me that? Press into it. Be curious about it. Press into it because I can promise you, God doesn't reveal those places in you for nothing. He's pointing it out for a reason. And on the other side of things, if the Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart and what is being revealed to you right now is that you're an idiot and that the damage that you caused in someone else's life that you thought was all fixed up now, uh, that is actually not fixed up at all. What we learn from Joseph's brothers 
is that responding rightly to revelation like that has very little to do with talking. Very little to do with making promises and almost everything to do with our actions. Because did you notice? What shifted the earth? What, what made cracks in the armor that Joseph had built around his heart and invited him back into relationship with his brothers was not apologies. It was not a promises to be better. It was real transformation demonstrated in their actions that did that. I could just give you a personal example from my own life. When, when, when God revealed to me that the damage that I was causing to my marriage and to my family through my dishonesty and being such an untrustworthy person, what made the difference in the end and began to invite my wife back into closeness and relationship again was not in promising to be a more trustworthy person. It was not in apologizing for being so untrustworthy. It was in being a more trustworthy person. In the end, that's, that's really what made the difference. And I know we don't like hearing that because changing behavior uh, takes a lot more time and effort and consistency than just saying words, doesn't it? Way easier to just apologize again than it is to actually change what you're doing. It's causing so much problem. And maybe you're worried, right? Yeah, but if I don't apologize, if I don't promise to do better, they might think that I don't care. Trust me. Uh, you, you apologizing, promising to do better, but then just continuing to do the same destructive thing that you were doing before does not communicate care. So, if any of this resonates with you, I believe rightly responding to revelation that God brings like this as well is simply less talk, more do. Probably as simply as we could say it. Okay. That's rightly responding to Revelation. Lots more we could say there. I've already said a lot, maybe too much. Um, but let's just leave that to simmer for a moment and look lastly now at the compound effects of a right response. Now, if you don't know, the whole idea of a compound effect at a very basic level. It's just that small, seemingly insignificant changes, investments, that they build upon one another over time, as opposed to kind of one large, one-time investment, and how that can be such a powerful force for change uh, in relationships, in financial investments, corporations, even global initiatives. Compound effects. And while these chapters in general and our series in particular has focused in on the life and formation of Joseph himself, Something else that we begin to see emerging is also some of the compound effects that some of the small, seemingly insignificant changes in Joseph's life have begun to have on those people around him as well. So all I want to do for a second is just trace some of those compound effects in the lives of Joseph's family, looking first of all at Jacob. Remember the way Jacob, uh, back in the old days there, used to favor Joseph above all his brothers? And when you think about that, it makes me wonder if there wasn't also some kind of method to Joseph's madness in telling them that the key condition to ever seeing him again was bringing the youngest brother, Benjamin. That if Joseph wasn't also targeting that request on his father Jacob to see if really any change had taken place in Jacob's life as well. And, you know, if you look at Jacob's first refusal to the brother's first request, so we got to bring Benjamin, 
uh, back in chapter 42, he says, My son shall not go down with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. Ouch. I think we can see pretty clearly, nope. Uh, it's business as usual for Jacob. He's continuing with his usual patterns. But look at Jacob's manner now at the beginning of chapter 43, as compared with what we saw last week. Last week, he's kind of like ordering his sons, like, quit looking at each other. Get down to Egypt, buy some grain. We, we, we need to live and not die. But now, in chapter 43, it's almost like a throwaway comment that he gives to the, the sons. He's like, yeah, go down to Egypt, buy a little food. Like he's telling them to go pick up some milk. Knowing full well that it's his refusal to send Benjamin that's keeping them from going. He knows they're not going to go. But yet in his direct yet respectful response, Judah quickly reminds his father of what he already knows. And then, really kind of implicitly makes the point, Dad, listen, yeah. If we bring Benjamin down so we can buy food, we may or may not lose him. But if we continue to sit here, you're going to lose him anyway. And you'll lose the rest of us as well. Because we're not going to live. And the result is that Jacob agrees. He agrees to what he formerly refused to do. And even if it's not everything, because yeah, he's still... Pulling some of his old tricks of like sending gifts ahead. He doesn't, he's not fully there. This is an important change, an important move in the life of Joseph's family. We're seeing shifting and changing taking place in his family. The other place I think we see that compound effects of all the changes taking place in Joseph's life is in the life of his brother Judah. Along with this wise kind of winsome response that he gives to his father's simplistic request, Look at his proposal to his father in verse 8 here. Rather than offering others as surety for Benjamin's life as Reuben had done, look at what he says. Verse 8, Judah said, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of your safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Maybe you'd hear that and you're like, oh, sure, great, that's, that's nice. What a, what a loving, compassionate brother he is. And yet, let's not forget, chapter 37, Judah's the one who was like, listen, if we just kill Joseph, what benefit is that going to be to us? There's no profit in that for us, aside from him being dead. That's the whole thing that led to Joseph being sold into slavery. Okay, so it's not exactly the same filial love that we see demonstrated now, is it? My point is that as difficult as all this had been to go through for Joseph, all that God had been working in his life, it isn't only bringing benefit to him. Slowly, over time, it's spilling out. It's spilling over onto those around him in Joseph's family, bringing benefit and compound effects in their lives as well. And as it relates to our first point, I believe that's happening because, first, Joseph rightly responded to the revelation that came to him. He's opening himself up and pressing into those things and now it's bringing compound effect on the rest of his family. And as you think about what sort of compound effects might come about as a result of you rightly responding to whatever it is the Spirit may be revealing or unearthing in you, I think an important point of order, if you'll excuse the pun, is that we need to remember the order. We need to remember the order of how these things happened in the life of Joseph's family, how those compound effects came into being. Because the problem, and I see this in my own life as much as I see it in anyone else's, we can have great clarity in our minds when it comes to the kind of compound 
effects and benefits that we want to see in those around us. We're very good at seeing, like, nah, I sure wish they finally start getting this. I wish I could see movement here. We're, we're, we've got great clarity in those areas, but while forgetting the fact you know, Joseph had to do the hard, painful work of formation first himself. He, he had to respond rightly to what God was revealing to him before any of those compound effects and benefits happened in the life of his family. And if we're not careful, we can end up making our own formation and responding rightly to what God reveals to us a conditional clause upon first seeing those compound benefits take place in others. As soon as I see them start changing, then I'll rightly respond to the revelation. But as Judah gently but directly reminded his father of what he already knew, let me do the same for us this morning and remind you that is neither the order of how things went, nor is there any guarantee that the things that you want to see, the kind of compound benefits that you want to see in others, that that's going to be the response to you rightly responding to God's good work in your own life. There's no guarantee of that. I guess the point in the end is simply this. Submit, your, submit to God's good work in your life. Respond rightly to what He reveals to you simply because you believe His work and what He's revealing to you is good. Not because you... you, you want to see your submission as some kind of bargaining tool to bring about the compound effects and benefits you want to see in others. Do it simply because you believe His work is good. That what He leads you towards is good and right. Because if you don't, you'll always find a reason to back out on it because it's not always going to work out the way that you hoped. I try not to... Um, overuse an illustration lest it be emptied of its illustrative power but this story of uh, I know I've told this before of a, of a doctor with his patient from that comedy sketch just fits too perfectly here in this moment so permit me to use it once more um, if you remember if you never heard it before let me tell it to you for the first time after studying a patient's chart with a worried expression on his face the doctor looks across the room to his patient and says may I be honest with you and without missing a beat, the patient quickly replies, no. <laughs> Leaving the confused doctor, now nothing to reply, but, well, then I, I guess you're going to be okay. And you're not going to die. Oh, great. So good. We began this morning with the question, of how it is that we respond to God's work of revelation in our lives? Do we try to ignore it? Do we try to explain it away, or do we pay attention and press into that revelation? Or I suppose another way that we could ask the question is, can God be honest with you? But as you consider the question, just as Jacob was overly simplistic in his assessment of their food issues, I don't want us to make that same mistake as it relates to answering this question. Because again, what we saw in our passage this morning was not just some revelation in general. Or some simple, like, hey, you got food on your shirt. What was revealed to Joseph was, like, really difficult things. Difficult work that still needed to be done when he thought he was completed. God being honest with Joseph about an incredibly painful, traumatic place from his past that he wanted him to return to. And I want to remind you of that because, and I'll just speak for myself here, I am a, a Jedi master when it comes to explaining away the work of God in my life when that work feels scary, uh, too costly, 
Or when I feel like God is asking me to do work in an area that I already feel like I'm sufficiently formed in. Whatever it is, I'll be just like, no, 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 God, you, you couldn't be asking me to work on that area. You, you know that that's, that's a painful part of my past. I've, I've moved on from that. You know how messy and complicated that is. It's, it's well beyond redemption. I, I know that's not what you're calling me to. Or, or God, uh, excuse me, now can, why are you still looking at that area? We, I, I've spent a lot of time here, prayed a lot about this. I've worked through this. Lots of other things we could work on over here. There's no way you have possibly got more work to do here. Do you do that? Do you, does that sound at all familiar to you? Yeah. See, the problem with that is that we have to remember digging back into all the pain, disappointment, betrayal of Joseph's past and his family, and which he felt he'd already attained freedom from by God's grace. That would not have been on Joseph's areas to revisit that he ever would have chosen for himself. In light of that, it makes me wonder if just as two weeks ago we had to learn about rightly defining the proper time and who gets to define that, it makes me wonder if we don't also need to learn that God's wisdom and vantage point also gives him an infinitely superior perspective on where his good work does and does not still need to be completed. Because think about it, I mean, if, if God's the one who began the good work in us, doesn't he get to be the one who tells us where he wants to work on next? And so, with all that now in mind, let me ask you now in closing that question once more. Can God be honest with you? Can God be honest with you and and when he's honest with you how will you respond will you ignore what he shows you will you try to explain away what he's reveals to you or will you trust that the loving hand of the one the apostle paul reminds us did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all that he doesn't reveal anything in your life without a purpose if you'll do it if you and i we will Pay attention and press into what He reveals. I believe that like Joseph, not only will you see the good work of God brought to even greater completion in your own life, I really do believe you will also begin to see the beautiful compound effects of that work begin to work out in the lives of others around you as well. May God give us the strength to do it and the wisdom to trust Him as He does and completes His work in us. Amen.